Welcome to episode 14 of the Daniel Yoris podcast. Today's topic is exercise selection. Let's go. Solo episodes are back on the podcast today after a few episodes in a row with some fun guests, which have been great. I really love interacting with the guests and doing the episodes with guests. They're fantastic conversations and logistically, they're actually just way easier to um, record and edit and all that stuff as well. So they're great and I'll continue to do them and lots of fun guests lined up in the near to medium future and we'll keep going with that. But there is a time and a place, I think, for these sort of solo episodes where it allows me to just speak about some more technical things which are maybe not so um, not so entertaining to speak about with a guest per se and reminds everyone that, yes, I like talking about breathing and meditation and being a good human and fixing things and all the holistic things, but I also like to throw some weight around as well so we can just get technical and talk about that here a little bit too. So we got to bring it back a little bit and that's that. Um, on a logistical note or a feedback note, let me know what you've been enjoying or not enjoying with the guests, with the solo episodes, with the scheduling of, of podcast release and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I'm always trying to get better, of course. So let me know what is going well, what's not going well so that I can do more of the good stuff and less of the not good stuff. And we just keep getting better together. So for today, we are going to speak about exercise selection. I thought that it would be a good topic to cover just based on us being back in a very strict lockdown again here in Ontario. Um, but really, it, it, that actually doesn't matter that much. I mean, exercise selection is always important no matter where you are, whether you're training at home, whether you're training in the gym or anywhere else. It becomes a little bit more important when training at home with less options. And that may seem strange to say that exercise selection is more important when you have less options. But if you're trying to hit a specific goal, then it does become more important because you have to do specific things to get specific results. Now, I am calling this episode the paradox of exercise selection. And the reason for that is the paradox of exercise selection is that it matters a hell of a lot. It is very important to reaching whatever your fitness goal is. But at the same time, it barely matters at all in terms of just being healthy. And I'll continue to break this down kind of throughout the episode, but if you just want to get healthy, get off your butt and go move around and go to the gym and pick five exercises or whatever and do them, or you want to go for a run or you want to anything, then just go do that. And you, that's, that's a huge step to improving your health. However, if you do have more specific goals to increase strength in specific areas or increase muscle size or whatever the case may be, then yeah, you got to be a little bit more selective about the exercises that you choose. And so that's the paradox that it matters a lot for specific goals, overall health. We're splitting hairs here a little bit by choosing exercise A over exercise B. So just keep that in mind and take everything kind of uh, with a grain of salt as we go through here. Just to be crystal clear off the top here, when I mention exercise selection, what I'm referring to is actually choosing specific exercises within your workout. So for example, should you do a back squat or a front squat? Should you do a dumbbell chest press or a barbell chest press? and things of that nature. Now, it will be way outside the scope of this podcast to go through every single exercise individually and break down the exercise and then give reasons why you should or shouldn't be doing it. This podcast would be 95 hours long and nobody wants to listen to that. And it would even then it would still be impossible for me to cover all of the things. 
So my goal here is to give you the framework as to some of the things that I consider as a trainer when I'm writing a program for a client or writing a program for myself. And these are the things that will go through my process of writing the program to make sure that we're hitting all the bases given whatever the goal is, whatever the constraints of the training or the equipment available and all that kind of stuff may be. I would love if this could be completely specific to you as an individual. Obviously, we are not in a conversation here. It's just me speaking. So if you do have more specific questions, I hope that this podcast will spark some questions, spark some thought in your mind, and definitely feel free to reach out to me and we can get that sorted for you more specifically. Uh, but just want to get that off the top that th this is it is impossible for me to give all the answers for you in this next little bit here. The way that I want to sort of break this one down is in three parts. The first thing that I'll speak about, and it'll be fairly brief, is just what are the base movement patterns? And, and you can kind of consider this as what are my options? I have to choose exercises. What are the options? So what are the available things that we can do? And then how do we do them? Then the second part, we'll be going over the things to actually consider when choosing exercises. Now that we have the menu, how do you go about selecting an item off the menu? And then lastly, we'll finish off with how to how to think about or how to approach the actual execution of those exercises within your workout. And then I'll wrap it up from there. And I think this kind of takes us through a nice process of, of what's happening here. And this is, again, the way that I think about it when I'm writing a program for myself or for my client. Okay, what do we have available to us? What do we need to accomplish? What are the things within each workout, each week, each phase of training that need to be done? And how can I do that the best? And then how do we actually get in the gym and get that done? When considering exercises, there are some base movement patterns. You may have heard them referred to as primal movement patterns, the big four, the big six, the big eight. There are different names for them, but at the end of the day, there are just movements that humans can do, and then everything is sort of variations and versions of these base movement patterns. And so those would be a squat pattern, a hinge pattern, a push pattern, and a pull pattern. Now, within those, there are several divisions, and within the squat, some people will consider a lunge to be a separate movement pattern. I'm not here to argue whether that's right or wrong. Uh, a, a lunge would be a single leg or a unilateral version of a squat, where by the same token, in a push, you'll have vertical pushes and horizontal pushes. In a pull, you'll have vertical and horizontal pulls. You'll have carries. You'll have core work. There are several other things, but just to, you know, lay the blanket down squat hinge push pull those are the big four those are covering everything else and everything else is kind of a those are the top of the umbrella if you will and everything else kind of falls underneath that now all exercises are variations of these movements so you can call exercises as fancy as you like everything is a variation of a squat if it's single leg if it's with a barbell if it's with a dumbbell everything is a variation of that a chest press, a push-up, a bench press, a shoulder press, um, anything like that. They're all variations of pushes, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to go through and name every single one of them. Another thing to note here is all of the best exercises have already been invented. There, there aren't new things that can be done. Humans are not just going to start changing our anatomy all of a sudden, and now there is some new movement pattern that may be we can do to increase some new muscle that's created. This just doesn't exist scientifically. There may be new variations of things that come up, and, and even then, it's pretty rare that that's going to happen. The, the two most recent examples I can think of this is, is different variations of cable chest pressing, where 
we're starting to add a sort of press and a fly component to the same time. And sometimes they're, they might be referred to as press arounds. <laughs> sometimes there's not really good names for it. It's just almost a description, but it's a press around. And again, I mean, the, the guy who kind of came up with this, he's not, he's not claiming that it's anything new. He's just thinking about a different way to combine planes of motion, essentially, to create a desired effect. And the other one that is more common now, but in the scheme or in the grand scheme of time of exercise and, and fitness, um, hip thrusts are a relatively new exercise. They're not something that was really done, you know, 30 years ago. They're, you know, more, they've become popularized in the past 15-ish years. They're a fantastic exercise, but they're just a variation of a hinge movement. They're not something new. No one figured out new anatomy or anything like this. Again, they're just a variation of something new. So every now and then some new exercises come up that are not just total nonsense, Sure, every day on Instagram, you'll scroll through and you'll see someone doing some, you know, one-handed upside down on a bolsu ball leg press nonsense. That's not a new exercise. That's just a circus trick and that's fine, but it's not new and it's not better than anything else. I've spoken about these movement patterns before and the bases, the big four. So when you're thinking about a full body workout, you basically want to make sure that you're hitting all of these four movements. Otherwise, you're simply just neglecting one large movement or one huge muscle group of the body. Now, when you're getting more specific, then you're going to maybe focus only on squat patterns, only on push patterns if you're doing chest or shoulders or something like that. But essentially, again, just to highlight it, squat, hinge, push, pull is what you're doing. Now, if you're totally lost, have no idea how to build a workout, how to do that, pick one exercise of those four, do those, you'll cover most of your bases with that. Now, that's obviously just a very basic breakdown of it, but if you choose one exercise of those four and that's your workout kind of all the time, you'll cover most of your bases. It's pretty hard to go wrong if you're just doing that alone. So if we stick with the menu analogy, now we've laid out the sort of categories on the menu, right? We've got squat, hinge, push, pull. You can consider that meat, fish, pasta, soup, or something like that, right? <laughs> on your on your menu, whatever you want to whatever you want to do. I, I mean, I would never order soup at a restaurant. That's just me, but separate topic for a separate day. So we've got our four categories and now we're going to lay out the menu items underneath all those four categories. So the first thing to, to think about above all else is what do you, what do you want? Like, what do you want to eat? Do you want fish? Okay. Well then we're going to choose something from the fish menu and ignore everything else. Now, what does that mean in terms of training? Well, if you want to work on hypertrophy, then you're going to select things that support that. On the other side of that, if your workout is going to be a lower body workout, then you're going to ignore the upper body stuff for, for this workout and vice versa. If it's going to be upper body, if you want to focus just on quads, then you're going to focus only on the quad stuff in the squat pattern ish things. And that's how we'll kind of approach this. So the first things first is figure out what your goal is, what your intention is, what you even want to achieve or accomplish within this workout. And then we narrow down the choices from there. Now, there are a handful of things to consider here. I'm just going to go through them kind of in no particular order. These are not more or less important than any of the other ones. They're all things to be considered kind of all at the same time, but just to break down one by one. So first, something that I see quite often is when people use exercises or multiple exercises within the same workout that are achieving the same result. Two good examples of these that I see fairly often are when you pair pull-ups and then lat pull-downs. And it doesn't have to be back-to-back -back in exercise but or back-to-back -back within a workout, but 
within the same workout. And so that movement, it's basically the same movement. And so it's it's hard to really justify it. Now, there there are certainly there is certainly a time and a place to have exercises that are achieving the exact same result within the workout. So everything here, I mean, there's always like a sliding scale of of usefulness and and whatnot, but it's not it's never just a gray or a, a black or white zero one or anything like that. So, anyways, something like pull ups and lat pull downs, it's basically the same exercise. So when you're doing a back workout or whatever workout it is, if you're having two exercises of the same, that's not really the most efficient or useful use of that time or that workout time. Another example of this that's pretty common I see, especially with kind of home workouts where limited options are using some type of RDL and then a good morning, which is exactly the same exercise essentially, except for where the weight is loaded, which yes, that makes it a different exercise and both are good and both have their place in a, in programming. But w- within the same workout, it's kind of just redundant. And so you might as well just stick to one and then utilize a different exercise for that second exercise. Nothing bad is going to happen by having a redundant exercise. You're not really increasing risk of injury or like you're not, you know, ruining your gains or anything stupid like that. But it's just it's just redundancy and unnecessary. A lot of times it's, you know, by no fault of anyone's, but you just don't have another option. You know that pull-ups and lat pull-downs are both great back exercises. So on back day, I'm going to do pull-ups and lat pull-downs. Well, great. But if we just spend a little bit of time thinking about what we're actually doing in that workout, then it's very obvious to see that, oh, that's basically the same thing. I should just stick to my pull-ups. And that's that. Now, a lot of this kind of comes down to the plane of motion. And this is sort of leading into the second point. So pull-ups and lat pull-downs, if we're going to stick with these kind of examples, are vertical pull motions. You're doing the exact same pull in the same vertical plane of motion going up and down. Now, we can pull vertically, we can pull horizontally, and we can pull on any any angle in between those things. And so all of those angles are important. All of those angles target and utilize different muscles to different degrees. And so all of these things matter. And this is one way to think about how to not repeat exercises or how to not include redundant exercises. For upper body, it's simplest to think vertical and horizontal. Again, pull downs and maybe a horizontal row or a one arm bent over row or a barbell bent over row or a high cable pulley row. These are kind of things that are utilizing different angles, utilizing vertical, horizontal pulls, and you can mix and match those to create a complete workout. On the opposite side, you can think of a flat chest press, an incline chest press, and then a shoulder press and these type of things. Any type of fly, again, on varying angles are all hitting different portions of muscles, different, and not even so much different portions of muscles. Yes, there is a degree of that. Most of us are not training with that level of specificity which is fine and and I don't really either but it's just attacking things in a different way and so that the movement is not redundant it and if you're going to do the same movement in it and use a different implement or different thing then you might as well just do the same thing again again if you're going to go pull-ups and lap pull-downs and you're going to do four sets of pull-ups and four sets of lap pull-downs we'll just do four sets of pull-ups and that's that on the lower body it's a little bit trickier than than just imagining what is vertical and horizontal, it it kind of works out the same when you really think about it. But just to think about from the exercise standpoint, the way that I think is easy to imagine it is think about which body part is fixed. Is it your feet or is it your upper body? 
And to give some examples of that, if you're doing a squat, your feet are fixed to the ground and your upper body is moving versus a leg extension where you're seated in the machine and then your upper body is fixed and your feet's lower legs are moving. On the other side, an RDL would be something where your feet are fixed. So your feet are on the ground, you're hinging up and down. And then a hamstring curl where you're lying down, upper body is fixed, legs, lower body is the one that is doing the actual moving. So this is ways to think about, well, how can I choose exercises that are hitting the same muscles, same muscle groups, but not redundant in that way is think about what part of your body is actually moving. The next thing that I want to talk about is something that it seems obvious when you say it, but it's not something that you might particularly think about in terms of programming your workouts. And it's actually just the time that it's going to take. What I mean by that is if you have 45 minutes to work out and you choose exercises that require a large degree or a large amount of setup, like depending on the way your gym is set up and whatever, if you have to do deadlifts, if you have to do rack pulls, set up certain machines, if you're setting up a a superset, like these things take a little bit longer than just doing other exercises. Like if you just grab dumbbells off the rack and do bicep curls, that takes no time. The exercise itself, like the actual set does not take as long, but other exercises simply just take longer to to perform, to set up, to to actually set up the bar, to clean up the area afterwards and all these things. So if you're choosing exercises that have a large amount of time of setup, cleanup, and actual execution of the exercise, then that's something that you have to consider as well, especially if you have a limited amount of time for exercise for your workout. If you have essentially unlimited time for your workout, then you know you don't really need to consider this as much. But it's still something to to pay attention to. You don't want to be caught in the gym for two hours because you picked all the exercises that take the longest amount of time to do. By longest amount of time to do, I don't also mean, oh, it's just hard. And so, you know, you need to rest more. I, I am going to speak about the energy expenditure and difficulty of exercises in a second here. But that's not really what I mean. I more so mean just the setup and the execution of the exercise. Some just take longer than others. Now, feeding off of that there is something to be considered with unilateral and bilateral exercises. Unilateral refers to one side, so anything that's one-handed or one-legged. Bilateral would be something that is using both hands or both legs at the same time. Both types of exercises should be included in your program. You, you should, for certain, be utilizing bilateral and unilateral exercises to offset any imbalances left to right, to develop balance on the one side, to increase strength on one side versus the other, to have stability on one side versus the other. We don't walk on, I mean, we walk on two legs, but there's only one leg kind of doing one thing at a time. Same if you're running, same if you're throwing, you know, whatever you're doing. So you need to, you need to be able to include both unilateral and bilateral exercises in your workouts. It doesn't necessarily have to be within every single workout, but over your program of the week or whatever, you should be including both unilateral and bilateral exercises. Now, to bring this back to full circle, thinking about our time issue, unilateral exercises take longer. If I'm doing split squats and then a single leg RDL, and that's my A1, A2 pairing, let's say, well, I've got to do split squats on my left leg, split squats on my right leg, and then single leg RDL, left leg, single leg RDL, right leg. Now I've done essentially four sets. So that A series is going to take me twice as long as if I did squats, like a regular squat with two feet and a regular RDL with two feet, because I'm doing double the amount of sets. So if you 
if your A1, A2 is two unilateral exercises, your B1, B2 is two unilateral exercises, your C1, C2 is two two unilateral exercises, you're going to be in the gym for forever because you're essentially doing double the amount of sets. So this matters. It also taxes your cardio a little bit more, which you might not be attempting to train your cardio within the gym, but you're doing way more movement, way more work, which can be a good thing, again, if that's part of what you're working on. But it can also be of a little bit of detriment if you're getting so gassed, like just out of breath by the end of your workout that you can't actually push it on the exercises that you're choosing to do. So it needs to be done intelligently. And you can certainly use unilateral exercises. You can use them within the same superset if that's the way that you're training, or you cannot. It's just there, there's no right answer to this. I would never say don't do two unilateral exercises back to back or always do two unilateral exercises back to back. It's just you need to do it with your eyes open like many things and consider the time and consider the amount of energy that you are expending on those exercises and how that's going to affect the rest of your workout. Ideally, when I'm programming for myself or for a client, for time purposes, for rest period purposes, for kind of figuring out the most optimal way to execute the program, if there is a unilateral exercise program, which there almost always is, it is almost always paired with a bilateral exercise. So it would be something like split squats for quads and then an RDL with two legs RDL. So that we're, that way we've got the unilateral on the quads the bilateral on the glutes and hamstrings. And then maybe in the next series, it would switch where I wouldn't use these exercises again, but single leg RDL and then a regular squat. So we flip flop the unilateral and bilateral so that we're getting both sides and being considerate of time and energy expenditure and all these things. I think one of the most important and also one of the most difficult to grasp concepts in all this is being wary of energy expenditure within the workout. And here's what I mean by this. Of course, we are trying to spend energy. Of course, we are trying to push our limits and empty the gas tank and all that kind of stuff. But you also need to be reasonable. If you write a workout that's a leg workout and you've included every single angle, all the best exercises, it's perfectly anatomically correct and resistance profile correct and you've got everything, well, that that workout might be 15 exercises long. There's no way that you can actually conduct a workout with any appreciable amount of intensity that has that many exercises in it. It's simply just not possible. And so this is why you might have two leg days or, you know, whatever, however you break it up and break it up over your phases and whatnot. The other side of this is it also matters about what your actual goal is. There aren't really exercises that are necessarily always better or worse for a certain goal just based on the actual exercise. But all of the intangibles of that exercise may make it better or worse to support a specific goal. And here is my best example, which might be a little bit controversial. And I don't think it's really controversial, but off the top, when I say it, it might spark some questions, but here it is. Deadlifts are not a good hypertrophy exercise. Now, I can hear the rebuttals that Oh, well, football players, big, huge rugby players, they all do, you know, the strong men, strong women, they do deadlifts and they're all big and huge. How is it not a good hypertrophy exercise? Ronnie Coleman, yeah, buddy, did de- did deadlifts and he was a big monster, obviously one of the best bodybuilders of all time. How is it not a good hypertrophy exercise? My explanation is this. 
Deadlifts are a fantastic exercise. I love deadlifts. I'm not saying they're not a good exercise. I think they're a fantastic exercise, except not most optimal if hypertrophy, if pure hypertrophy is the goal. Deadlifts are a fantastic exercise, but they're extremely difficult and extremely taxing and extremely non-specific as to the muscle or muscles that are being worked. So if you're trying to grow your hamstrings, a deadlift is an exercise that uses the hamstrings, but it also uses a lot of other stuff. So the amount of fatigue that my body is going to experience by doing the deadlifts compared to the amount of specific force applied to the hamstrings is a bad ratio for trying to grow my hamstrings. Whereas if I simply did an RDL, a hamstring curl, or these kind of more specific exercises that are less taxing, I can get that volume in and I can get that specificity in to actually better contribute to growing my hamstring specifically. To circle back, a very obvious rebuttal as well, Ronnie Coleman was a bodybuilder. He, of course, wanted very specific muscle growth in certain areas, and he deadlifted, so how is it not a good hypertrophy exercise? Well, the obvious answer is that you are not Ronnie Coleman, you cannot do the things that he did, and nor are you willing to do even half of the things that he did, and that's why he was one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time, and the rest of us are not the greatest bodybuilders of all time. So, Yes, you can do, you can copy some of the things of these professional athletes and whatnot, but you also have to remember that they're doing things that the rest of us are not doing. And I don't mean just steroids. Like, yes, that's part of it, but it's not just that. If you gave me the same steroid regimen that they used, I I promise you I will never look like Ronnie Coleman because I'm not willing to go through the things that he did in terms of all of his training, all of his dieting, all of that stuff. It's just not going to happen. It's not the steroids. It's everything combined that they did. So, Anyways, enough of that, but deadlifts are not a great hypertrophy exercise because they're too taxing for the specificity needed for pure hypertrophy. Another example of this application of appropriate energy expenditure has to do with our actual grip strength. And this is very common in pole workouts or back day, if you will, because every time we're pulling something, it's very grip dominant and we have to hold on to a heavy amount of weight because our backs are big and strong and we can pull a heavy amount of weight. However, you know, my hand and my forearm is of course not nearly as strong as my lats and my entire back. So grip strength can become a limiter. Now, if your workout is something like pull-ups, horizontal cable rows, barbell bent over rows, like those are three very heavy, very grip dominant exercises in a row. Now, by the time you get to the third exercise, maybe the fourth and fifth, whatever those are going to be in the workout, your hands and your forearms are going to be shot. And that is going to end up limiting what you're actually able to do in that workout. If I can't hold on to the bar, I can't possibly pull it. Yes, this is when you can use hand wraps and grips and and grip tools and whatever stuff like that. But, you know, we try and avoid that. And most of us don't use that. I personally don't use them. And I'm not saying that you can't include those three exercises, but maybe space them out. So if you're going to do pull-ups and then you're going to do the horizontal rows instead of doing the bent over rows after that, maybe you're going to do a pullover or something else that is less grip dominant that is still a back exercise that fits within the workout. And then you kind of give the, the forearms a little bit of a rest, if you will, or you split those up on different days. But you just have to be realistic. If you're aiming for eight reps and the amount of weight that you can lift 
is significantly less. Like you do your eight reps, but you could probably, your back is totally fine, barely even feeling anything. And your forearms are just fried. Well, now it's just a forearm workout. And it's not really a back workout. So this is another, this is another one of these energy expenditure things that needs to be considered. And there can certainly be some sort of guess and check as you go through this. It's hard to always look at it on paper and say like, okay, if I do these exercises, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be able to apply the right amount of intensity throughout the workout. So, you know, this happens with myself, happens with clients. I write the workout on the first day of that first week of that phase. That first day is almost like a little bit of a testing thing and not always, but I would say, I would say probably like 50% of the time we go through that, that first workout, maybe not 50%, I don't know whatever. It's hard to put a number on it, but at some, some portion of the time we'll go through that first workout and then I'll tweak a few things, change the order of a couple exercises, maybe switch out an entire exercise just because, Oh, in the flow of this workout, that thing didn't work or the forearms got too taxed or we were just too gassed to even get through the rest of it or, you know, whatever the case may be. So there is some room for, for playing there for sure. Another thing on that, I just mentioned, I didn't have this written down, but you have to consider like the flow of your gym and what what equipment is available, what exercises or machines you have available to you. If you're trying to, again, do that, like an A1, A2 pairing and the two pieces of equipment that you need are on opposite corners of the gym, like that's just not realistic. And that has nothing to do with exercise science or effectiveness on the muscles or whatever. It may be two fantastically paired exercises, but if they're on opposite sides of the gym and you know, you've got to walk to the other side, you've got to clean this, clean this, you're, you're, you're fighting with people to hold on to equipment, then that's just not realistic for you. So this is another thing that just need, a little bit needs to be considered with your workout is just the logistics of the gym and the space that you're utilizing. Something for me that I had to do kind of in my home gym all last year when I was training pretty hard is I've only got one barbell and the dumbbells that I have are relatively not heavy. I don't have any machines or anything like that in the, in my home gym. So when I'm programming exercises, I may want to do two barbell things, but they're pretty heavy. And so one requires the bar to be up top in the rack and one requires me to be pulling the bar off the floor. If I pair those a one, a two, well, that's just unrealistic because now I've got to unload the bar, get it to the floor, change the weight. And it's just like a minute and a half or two minutes between pairings when it's supposed to be a superset, obviously just not realistic. However, in a full gym where you might have access to two barbells, two racks, another piece of equipment, then you can easily do those two exercises. So this logistics kind of thing goes back, I guess, to the the time element that I spoke about a little bit before, where time certainly matters a lot in, in terms of your actual plan, as well as what's available to you, what's realistic to actually accomplish within that workout, within the space, within the equipment that is available to you. The last thing that I want to mention here is another not super scientific training kind of thing to consider, but it does matter. And it's something that I often see people do without thinking about it. Sometimes it's for a lack of creativity, a lack of knowledge of other alternatives or many other reasons, but it's simply just choosing exercises that feel comfortable to you. And this may or may not have anything to do with an injury that you're dealing with now or a previous injury, but some people, and here's an example, a Bulgarian split squat it just feels very awkward and it feels uncomfortable. It feels painful. Some people hate using a barbell to press with or to pull with for that matter. And so for that reason, just because maybe the barbell bench press scientifically for the average person is the best exercise for that goal, whatever that goal may be at that time, 
if that exercise is uncomfortable for you, if you don't like it, if if it if it's painful, especially, then don't do it. There there are certainly other things that can be done to achieve that same goal that are better suited to you. And so this goes for you making your own workouts, you having a coach make a workout and say, okay, this exercise, I hate Bulgarian split squats because it hurts my ankle, hip, you know, whatever. Well, maybe there's something we got to look at as to why it's hurting. And that's something that a good coach would do. Or maybe it's just anatomically that exercise is not right. Maybe your setup is wrong. There, there are many things that are happening here, but if for some reason it's uncomfortable to you, it's painful, it you don't like it for some real reason, and I don't mean you don't like it because it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to tickle. But if you don't like it, then don't do it. Do something else that's going to be better. And if you don't know what to do, then ask because it's better to ask and get the right answer. There are no stupid questions. If you don't know, um, anyone who is of reasonable integrity will be more than happy to help you. They're not going to say, oh, that's a dumb question. No, just ask the question and do something that's right for you. Don't continue to do exercises that are uncomfortable or painful for you. And and if you want to take this a little bit sciencey, if it is uncomfortable and painful for you, you are likely approaching it with a very low amount of intensity. You are likely not loading it up as heavy as you could or should be. And therefore, the exercise is really not giving you the supposed benefits of that exercise, whether it is a greater exercise or not, it's just making you uncomfortable. And that's obviously not good. Now that we've got a good idea of how to go about thinking about what exercises to choose and how to pair things up, how to implement things on a workout by workout basis and a program training phase basis, then now we can start to think about how to actually execute the exercises and the workout in general. So feeding off of that last point about comfort level and doing things that feel good, the setup of your exercises matters a lot as to what the goal or the outcome of that exercise is going to be. Here's the easiest example I can think of off the top of my head that is something that you kind of see online quite a bit. And again, this is not right or wrong or anything, but it's just something that can be very confusing. And it's the focus of a Bulgarian split squat. Some people will say that a Bulgarian split squat is a quad dominant exercise. Some people will say that it's a glute dominant exercise. Now, the truth is both muscle groups are working together to accomplish that exercise or to do that exercise. And the way that you set it up can actually alter what the focus of the exercise is. For example, if you are leaning forward, if at the bottom position of the Bulgarian split squat, your knee is over your toes, then you are going to be utilizing a little bit more of quads because that's just the movement of the quads. Now, if you're moving in a more vertical extra, uh, vertical plane of motion where most of the weight is pushing through your heel, you're getting to somewhat of a 90 degree angle with that front knee at the bottom, then the glutes are going to be more dominant in that position. That's just one example. Every single exercise is maybe not as dynamic as that, but the focus or the setup does play a large role in what's happening. It's not just your imagination. This is just biomechanics. I said this a million times. I'll probably try and sneak this in every episode. We do not make the rules. There are things that happen and that's that. So the thing to consider here is this. If in your head, you want to do Bulgarian split squats to target the glutes and you're executing them in a way that is targeting the quads. Well, just because 
what you want to do is targeting glutes, it doesn't mean that that's what's actually happening. So the way that you execute the exercise is extremely important. Here's another good one that I see quite often is lat pulldowns. And you might think, oh, well, lat pulldowns, it's called a lat pulldown. It must be working my lats. It can work your lats if you do it correctly. If you have a super wide grip and you have a large amount of spinal extension while you're doing it, and you're bringing your elbows in towards your body rather than straight up and down, you're not using your lats as much as you really think you are, despite it being called a lat pulldown. So again, the setup matters. Narrow up that grip, move in a more vertical plane of motion, less spinal extension, and you'll be utilizing the lats more. This is not anyone's opinion. This is just anatomy and biomechanics. So again, I would love to be able to go through every single exercise possible, but again, you know, this podcast will just be a million hours long and it's impossible for me to do that. So this is something to think about when you're, this is a good question to ask your coach rather. When you're doing exercises, if you don't think that you're doing it right, you're not sure if what it's intended to do is actually happening for you, then take a video of yourself, send it to me, send it to your coach, send it to whoever and, and get it sorted and make sure that you're doing, make sure that what you're doing is actually accomplishing the goal that you're trying to accomplish rather than thinking that just because it's named X, you must therefore be accomplishing Y. It's not necessarily how it is. You can alter things to change the angle, to change the intention, to change where the force is being produced from to create different effects. And that may be intentional and it may be unintentional, but you should always do this with your eyes open. On that note of intention, the last thing that I'll mention in terms of exercise execution here is that the level of intensity is something that you must consider and this is goes in tandem with whatever your training goal is. If you're training for strength and you know your your strength sets, you're not really getting anywhere close to the limit. I'm not saying you should max out. There's time and a place for that. You shouldn't be doing it every day and not when it's safe, blah, blah, blah. But if you're try if you're telling me that you're working on your strength and your level of intensity out of 10 is like a six, you're you're not you're not training strength because you're not pushing the boundaries. You're not working hard enough in that exercise to actually elicit a strength response. So the, the level of intensity that you apply to the exercise matters a lot. Now, you can argue that the level of intensity should always be high or you know near a 8, 9, 10 within the parameters of what you're working on, whether it's, uh, I don't, and I don't mean level of intensity by saying just the amount of weight that you're using because you can't just lift heavy all the time. If you're working on your muscular endurance and you're, you know, you're doing a weight that's like 95% of your 1RM, well, obviously that's not a muscular endurance exercise. You've got to be able to get through 12, 15, 20, 30, 50 reps of that exercise. And so if you can only get through three, well, that's not really endurance now. But at that 15th rep, you should be nearing that 8, 9, 10 rate of perceived exertion or RPE, if you may have seen it called that. And so the level of intensity that you apply to the exercise, it matters a lot for achieving your actual goal. There isn't really a time to half-ass things unless you're just getting through the going through the motions and, and just moving for the sake of moving, which again goes back to the whole paradox of why this matters, but also doesn't matter at all. Now how to think about this in your in your programming is like if you get to a point of the workout where you are so gassed that you can't actually apply enough intensity to the exercises anymore, well, then you might as well just stop there and recover. 
there, there are a couple things that are missing here. One, the workout that you wrote for yourself was just too hard. And it's not about you being weak or anything like that. The other side is maybe you're just poorly conditioned or not ready for that level of workout yet. And so you need to just adjust things so that you can actually apply the correct amount of intensity to the workout rather than just getting through it just to say that you did the exercises. If you're doing it with, you know, the, the least amount of intensity just to check the box and say, okay, I did that fifth, sixth, whatever exercise, you're just, you're just doing yourself a disservice. You're more likely to get injured when you're doing things and you're not really paying attention, you're extremely fatigued and all these things. So adjust the intensity of the workout, the way it's written to something that you can reasonably accomplish as well. So there we have it. Now we've kind of gone over the basis of what this is. Again, I've said this a couple times already, and I hope I didn't ramble too much during this episode, but this could be 90 million hours long if I go through every single exercise and every single option. But what I hope that you've taken from this is that we know what the options are, how to think about going through some of those options to choose what might work for you, given all the parameters that we spoke about, and then how to actually execute upon those choices. And to bring it back to the whole paradox of this thing, I mean, all of these things matter a lot. If you want specific results, you need to apply specific stimulus to achieve those things. And this goes for your fitness and your training and for anything else in life as well. And I won't go too far down that rabbit hole right now. But the other side of that, again, the paradox is that if you just want to get up and move, if you just need to move your body, then just do that. If you want to go play CrossFit, by all means, go play CrossFit and move your body and be part of that wonderful community. And no, I don't mean to shit on CrossFit. I think CrossFit is great. And I said play CrossFit on purpose because CrossFit is a sport. CrossFit may look like a bunch of haphazard workouts or exercises thrown together. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but it's not like you're doing hypertrophy work in CrossFit. You're doing CrossFit when you're doing CrossFit and that's the intention and that's okay, but it can just be like a bunch of random things, workout classes, again, a bunch of random stuff all thrown together. The purpose is fun and movement, not actual specific training for you, the individual. So keep that in mind always. I hope that this has sparked some good thoughts in your head. I hope that you have some questions actually after this, and I hope that you ask me or ask someone else who you trust and trust with your knowledge or trust with your training and your nutrition and your fitness and all that kind of stuff, because there are so many nuances to all these things. And and it's very important when you're trying to think about things correctly. So do things properly, do things with your eyes open, do things with intention, and then everything else kind of falls into place after that and the results will follow easily, not easily, simply after that. If you have any questions, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you on this one. I know that there's going to be a lot here. If you have any other feedback on the podcast, on anything else, questions about anything else not related today, definitely feel free to reach me on Instagram at Daniel Yoris is my Instagram handle. Um, you can follow me there, interact with me there. All good. I'm there quite often, too often, actually. Other than that, I would love if you were able to leave a review on the podcast on iTunes. It goes a really long way in helping the show subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes and all that fun stuff. And that's that. We'll be back with guests next time. I'll continue to do these solo episodes here and there on no real schedule, but I'll just do them whenever I feel necessary. And that's that. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your time and attention as always, and have a great day. We'll chat soon.